Hey, Becca. Hey, Adam. So uh, what do you want to talk about today? Nothing. You don't want to talk about anything? We have an hour. We we should talk about something. No, I want to do an episode about absolutely nothing. You want to do an episode about nothing? About nothing. So like Seinfeld. Exactly like Seinfeld. It's an episode about nothing. An episode about nothing. Episode about nothing. So, as you all may have heard in our intro, today is an episode about nothing. That doesn't mean we're not talking about anything and it'll be awkward silence for an hour. We're just going to not, we don't have a script. We're just going to kind of have fun and talk to each other. We kind of figured it was an opportunity for you guys to get to know us and hear us a little bit off the cuff, but obviously still on the cuff because this is still broadcast. Well, and I mean, we've covered some really super heavy topics in our first couple of episodes. And I had a really long drive this week. And I just kind of said to Adam, like, why don't we just do the Seinfeld episode where it's an episode about nothing. We're just going to talk. We might have something to say. We might not have anything of real importance to say, but it should be fun. And we're just, we're actually really excited about this episode. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. This is going to be great. Um, As I mean, and you might, awkwardly hear me fumble and stumble in like like Kramer stumbling into Jerry's apartment. See, we're going to be tossing Seinfeld references throughout this episode now because of that. Which is excellent because truth be told, I think I have seen three episodes of Seinfeld in my entire life. <gasps> no podcast for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, uh, I have listened to a lot of his stand-up. And honestly... I, I think so much of his stand-up is hilarious. Like, I, one of the ones that always gets me is the one where he's talking about paying your bill at the end of a restaurant experience. And he's just like, you know how they bring you, like, that little, like, folder? Like, what is this, the story of the bill? Like, I just, I die every time he says that. Right, I always kind of wonder that. And that's what I think I loved so much about his stand-up comedy. Because you know me, I'm a huge stand-up comedy fan. Oh, I love stand-up comedy, too. I'm right there. Right. I loved that his stuff was... Like, kind of stuff that I had always thought to myself, but not in a big way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just that little, like, thought that you get, and it amuses yourself, and you're like, mm-hmm. and he made a career out of that. Yeah. So I think that is a lot of fun. So, like, when I first got into Seinfeld, I want to say I was in university or late high school. My best friend had bought some of the seasons, and we just started watching it, and, and yeah, you are my best friend too. Before you say anything, I saw that look there. It was like I, I meant, I meant uh, Andre. You know, you know, I meant Andre. I, I do. I was going to make the joke, and I was like, okay, wait. How many podcasts have I made that joke in? <laughs> right. So I stifled myself, and you still caught me. This is the problem with us doing it on camera: is that my face continues to talk out loud, and I don't mean to show that amount of attitude in my face. <laughs> One of these days, we really have to just like do a video podcast and we can see how hilarious our facial interactions are with each other because it's a whole thing on its own. It really, we we have two podcasts going. We have basically the podcast that you guys hear and then the podcast that he, that Adam and I see because we <laughs> talk a lot in expressions and we know each other so well that we kind of know what every single minute little look means like he can tell me and I want to say he can tell me to shut up with a look and that sounds really wrong like he just walks around telling me to shut up all day and that's not how it is that look that one right there you stop (laughs) you're gonna get me banned from Facebook again (laughs) (laughs) so like he'll give me this look that means like oh you know you're I'm a chronic oversharer I'm sure anyone who's listened to this is like oh yeah we know um (laughs) And he'll just give me this look that's like, honey, you know, I'm going to have to cut this piece. (laughs) (laughs) But, 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 you know, remind me again how autistic people are terrible at facial expressions. We're not. It's, that's the thing is that we're not. It's, we're, we are so bad at fake social cues. Yes. 
And that's what I've kind of figured out for my, one of my things that I figured out in the last couple of years is like, I'm one of those people that if you invite me over to your house, that's fantastic. I won't go to your house unless you invite me first off. Cause I feel like I'm imposing. That's right. But once I'm there, when do I leave? Right. Like, this is a legit question. And sometimes you'll be like, oh, you know, it's, it's getting kind of late. I should go. And they're like, no, no, stay. And you're like, okay, because they told me to stay. And then they get resentful of the fact that you stayed because really the indication was that you should have been leaving. And that was a polite invite that wasn't actually meant as genuine. But like, if you don't actually intend me to stay, don't invite me to stay. Right. Just be like, if I'm like, oh, hey, it's time to leave. I should probably get going. You don't have to be rude. Like, yeah, get the hell out of my house. (laughs) You know, know, like politeness dictates that you'd be like, you know what? Yeah, it's it's getting pretty late. I'm kind of tired. It's been great having you over though. Like we should do it again sometime. Yeah. Why can't we just do that? Why do we why do we suffer and just be like, oh yeah, no, you should totally stay. And inside you're going, get out of my house. Well, and it's to the point where like I think so many of us are so used to living in a neurotypical majority world when it comes to this stuff that like I've I've had it happen where I've, I've invited someone out to go for coffee or whatnot and gotten the big spiel of well, other people. <laughs> you have other friends? I have other friends. Shush. <laughs> How dare you? It's only supposed to be me. Oh, wow. That's controlling. I thought we were, I thought this was a polyamorous podcast and that includes friendships. Right? You know? <laughs> Relationship anarchist over here. I'm allowed to have more than one friend. Every friendship is <laughs> its own rules, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, <laughs> I get the sense that so many of us are so used to living in a neurotypical majority world that like I've invited people out for coffee and then gotten big long spiels of oh yeah I'd love to go just as friends but uh you know the blah blah, blah and, I, and I'm like first off you know yeah I was totally intending on this friendship but also thank you for being so upfront and honest with me and saying what you want because so many people play head games I just I am always blown away and impressed and thrilled when people I know or people I'm connecting with give the long, the long spiel of what they want out of this right up front. I have definitely found within uh, both the LGBTQ SIA, you know, the whole, like the, the rainbow army here. Yes. I have found within the rainbow community and the, polyamorous and the neurodivergent communities so th- there's a lot of overlap in those communities the kink there really world, is and, and then there's the kink world that kind of infects us all in a great way but yeah yes of course but i have found that there is so much more honesty yes in those and i i require honesty and not just in a like oh my god you must always tell me the truth but don't i can't my brain does not handle social niceness no like I don't if you ask me you know if I see you in the street like not you because obviously you but if I see like one of our listeners on the street and they're like hey how are you I'm going to be you know I'm not going to do that thing where I'm like oh I'm great how are you you asked me a question and I feel like I should respond in a way like okay maybe yes in that case like I am great but so I might say like oh I'm having a really good day how about you yeah I'm asking because I genuinely care and I genuinely want a response. Yeah. And because I genuinely want that, I assume that you do too. And that is not always the case. Nope. I can't and tell you how many times I like at work dealing with a client or something. And it's like, and the interaction is, hey, how are you? And then they answer, hey, how are you? Hey, listen, blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, well then you didn't really want to ask, hey, how are you? You just said it because it was socially expected for you to say it. If that's the case, I'd prefer you to not even say it at all. <laughs> oh, right. Like, and I also have this thing where I am one of those people where if I, if I say something, if I offer something, it is because I want to, I don't offer anything like, okay. Um, a perfect example would kind of be a, a few weeks ago when there was something, I believe right after your grandmother passed away. Okay. And I had said, like, if you want me to, I will go with you to X, Y, Z. I don't remember exactly what it was right now. I think it was my mom's house fire thing. It was something. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, no, do you want me to go with you? And, and you were like, oh, I, I couldn't ask that of you. And I'm like, my dude, 
my love, my best friend in the world. You didn't ask me, I'm offering. If I didn't want to do it, if I didn't want to be there for you, I wouldn't say it. But I also understand that it's such a social norm when something bad happens um, that someone will be like, oh, hey, you know, if you need anything, call me. And then you do. And it's like, oh, sorry, I can't. Or, yeah. Or they're like, why would you call me? And you're like, because you told me to. I This was a verbal contract. I don't understand what's going on. My brain does not like that. Yes. Nor does it like small talk. Oh, good Lord, small talk. I know, I know. This is like dating for me. If it's someone that I don't know, because let's face it, I have a tendency to date my friends. Um, (laughs) um, Don't you raise those eyebrows at me, Adam. (laughs) Anyway, I have a tendency to date my friends because I find meeting new people and having to go through small talk just mind-numbingly boring i don't want to hear like hey how are you tell me about aliens tell me what scared you when you were five tell me why you love your favorite album don't talk to me about like oh isn't the cheese here fabulous i don't care well yes delightful (laughs) (laughs) they all have that droll kind of accent when i mock them because i'm a horrible person it's quite Mm, quite but do you know what I'm saying where I I don't want to have those conversations oh totally so like I, I I have this conflict within myself in a way because I mean I've been doing a lot of neurodiversity advocacy and it's been like getting more intense as of late with like the book and this podcast and all that stuff and I always said how as a kid I had a hard time talking to people I felt awkward around people and I, and I do I definitely feel awkward around humans. And yet people are always like, but Adam, you're so social. And you're so, it's like, yes, I am. And it's true, but I hate small talk and I am awkward as heck in a new encounter. And I'm, if it's a new encounter, almost guaranteed I am following a script to get through that encounter. And, you know, I tend to get more friendly and more, you know, open the more I know people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even for me, because I'm, again, uh, neurodivergent advocacy is new for me, but I've definitely been up on my soapbox about LGBTQ um, advocacy and and all of that stuff. I've been on my city's pride board for five years, but I'm also an actress. So people will say to me, I don't understand how you're so awkward and this and that when on you know a podcast I can run my mouth for an hour every week I always have something to say and on stage you know you're 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 on it and I'm like yeah on stage I have a script mm-hmm. like all of my small talk is I just have to remember it <laughs> that's it that's all and of course I can always, cause we do in, in the theater company that I, I run, um, we do what they call like a receiving line at the end. So after the show, after we bow, we come off stage and we kind of just mingle with the crowd. Well, is that and, what called the receiving line? Cause I, I, I've been to stage productions and I've seen that, but I didn't know it was yeah. called that. That's cool. Okay. That's what we call it. I don't know if that's the actual, like what you would call it. Some people call it like a meet and greet, whatever, but it's, it's one of the things that we've always been really big on is meeting people that come out to the shows and people are like well if you're socially awkward how do you do that um I have a drink afterwards for one (laughs) (laughs) but for two a lot of the times it's talking about the show Mm -hmm. it's it's not talking about Becca it's not talking about me personally it's talking about my character the show my castmates who are always incredible I tend to work with the same uh, small group of people so you know we know each other really really well and we also know when to like call somebody off of another cast member if we see them getting uncomfortable yeah but it's all those things and then of course why can we do it so well masking yep masking (laughs) and that's the thing so it's like you tell you how do I word this um so again if I'm in an unfamiliar social situation 
and I don't have a script. Like a lot of times flirting when I'm flirting intentionally is the most awkward, worst thing ever. If I'm just talking to someone and we happen to be talking about like Star Trek or Doctor Who or Avatar or a bajillion, you know, like nerdy things, I'm stupidly social. And I'm like, you know, like I'm going on and on and on and on. And like, you know, we're having a great conversation, whatever. But if I don't have a script and I'm intentionally trying to show someone I'm interested in them and I don't know them and it's just completely awkward, it come, it, it gets it gets reduced to like, hey, I like cheese. Do you like, <laughs> do you like cheese? I like cheese. Wait, don't know someone? Cause, um. <laughs> Was I like that with you? Okay, okay, okay. In my defense, we were, we had known each other as friends and we were kind of transitioning into this, like this new zone for our connection and it felt weird and I wasn't sure what I was allowed to do. What I, anytime, anytime my brain starts to overthink, that is a scary time. That is very well, I'm teasing you like I wasn't just as bad. I was going to say. <laughs> I, I, I tease you to, you know, deflect my own awkwardness but no it's it's true I know that I am a very awkward person it's in a charming way I like I don't think it's always charming but I like to think that I am very charming I think it's adorable I think it's adorable um but no and that has been something my whole and it took me a really long time to realize what it was not the awkwardness but just the I don't necessarily do social cues well I definitely do not do the social, like, polite lying thing well yeah. at all. And it took me a long time to realize that I'm not necessarily antisocial. I just don't suffer fools gladly. <laughs> no, nor do I. And that is something um, that my pastor's wife, when I was growing up, when I was in the church as a child, that was something she used to say about me all the time is that Rebecca does not suffer fools gladly. I was like six. <laughs> yeah. And, and they would tell me this all of the time. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't, I didn't understand. And now I do, because even as a kid, if you were putting me in a social situation that I didn't want to be in, like, why are you talking to me about niceties? I want to talk about dinosaurs. Right. <laughs> and what? I would just kind of give off facial cues because I was masking I was taught to be very polite yeah but nobody taught my face and my eyes <laughs> and I have a tendency as you well know because I do it about 50 times during the podcast I will roll my eyes at anything and um I remember when I was really little, I was in like the choirs and all of the church plays and all of that stuff. And I was convinced that Pastor Evergreen, that she was magical because she would be doing like the choir and I would roll my eyes and her back would be to me. And she'd be like, Rebecca, don't you roll those eyes at me? And I was like, how did you know? <laughs> how she knew was because I did it so often that you could literally set your watch by when I would roll my eyes at you. <laughs> well, so my whole thing growing up was always, I, lo I love my parents to death, but my stepmom was very strict growing up. And a lot of times as a neurodivergent human, I'm perfectly good with following rules. If I think if I it, exactly, if I understand them and they make sense and they've been explained to me and they're logical, I will be the first one to be like, no, we can't do that. That's against the rules. But you know what I do not respond well to? Because I said so. Or because that's the rules. Or because that's what that's the way it is. My first instinct is, well, why? Why is that the way it is? And it's, it, this is not me trying to be difficult. I promise you that. This is just me I trying to understand. To, yes, I want to understand the rules. Because if I understand the rules, then I will follow the rules. It's always that kind of line from a parent always makes me think of Matilda. Oh God, when, I'm big, you're small, I'm right, you're wrong, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's it, that's it. So when I hear that kind of like, well, why? Because I said so, because I'm big and you're small. It doesn't matter because I don't understand your rule. And if I don't understand your rule, I will not follow it because in my brain, if you create a rule that I don't understand, 
I'm not the dumb one. That's right. <laughs> and, and that is why I think I was labeled as precocious. <laughs> because you're precocious until you're about 10. After 10, you're just a bitch. <laughs> I was labeled difficult just because I'd ask questions like this. Right. I always go back to, oh, this is a, I, I don't know if we asked this earlier in the podcast or not. You might have to cut this section. Okay. But like, do you have kind of a defining memory in school that made you stand out to yourself, like to yourself as like you knew that people were going to think that you were weird or defiant or anything like that? Do you have like one particular moment? I can give you my example. You know what? Go first, because I'm going to give that one some thought. Okay. So mine was, I was in senior kindergarten, and the teacher said, everybody needs to be clouds, because we were doing some kind of little game. Everybody needs to be a cloud. So all the other kids kind of put their arms out by their sides to be like cute, chubby little clouds. And me, being me, put my hands up over my head like a ballerina (laughs) and my teacher said Rebecca we're supposed to be clouds I said I am a cloud and she was like well no your hands aren't right you're supposed to be a cloud and I said I am a ballerina cloud (laughs) and she said well no you have to be a cloud and I said why why do I have to be that kind of cloud why can't I be a ballerina cloud and this argument this woman is standing there standing off with you know a precocious little five-year-old who just wants to know why I can't be a ballerina cloud. I wasn't trying to be difficult or defiant or a jerk. I just genuinely did not understand what was wrong with me being a ballerina cloud. You just want to know. And they, because they had no good answer for me, I'm going to be a ballerina cloud. You have given me no reason as to why I can't be other than I said so. And that's a you problem, not a me problem. That is not a valid reason. It's an ish you, not an ish me. (laughs) Okay, I actually do have a moment. I do have a moment. So this is a shout out, and I'll use her name because I'm sure she doesn't listen to this podcast. And if she does, cool, good for her. Uh, This is a shout out to my, I want to say grade five teacher, Mrs. Douglas. Ah, Mrs. Douglas. Uh, Mrs. Douglas and I had an interesting relationship and a good one. I want to say, put that out there that like, Yes, I was precocious in her class and I was always asking questions Well, why this had to be done this way or trying to do assignments in my own different way and all these things. And we had a, had a joking rivalry where she would like correct me and tell me, no, it has to be this way. But like in kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, it's cool that you like this, but this is how it has to be kind of way. To the point where like, at, there came a point, like our, our friendly rivalry got to a point where like, at one point during Scholastic Book Fair, I think she bought like a, she, she bought like a bookmark. It was a Garfield bookmark and it said my way or the highway on it. And anytime that I would get precocious, she'd walk over to my desk and put the bookmark on my desk and walk away. And it was just the greatest thing ever. Like I have nothing but respect for her to this day. And if I ran into her, I like, you know, I'd be very happy to see her and all that stuff. But like, if you ask me a moment that stood out, it was definitely that. Although I have others as well. I'm sure that I have more moments, but I think that one is my youngest one. And it's the one that always sticks out to me as the moment where even as a small child, like I just kind of knew that I was a pain in the ass. (laughs) I love that you're a pain in the ass though. Please don't ever change. (laughs) But no, it's um, definitely has always been a pattern. And I just don't, I don't understand why, because I said so is considered a valid thing for dealing with kids. And I think with our generation, it's changing because our generation has by and large embraced gentle parenting. But I mean, not everyone thinks like that. And I find, especially among neurodivergent folks and polyam folks and LGBTQ folks and the kink community, and also people who are parents tend to be gentle parents and more understanding and blah, 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 blah. In the neurotypical world, it still seems a little weird. Well, I think a lot of people want to go with how they were raised, which makes sense. But, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the way I was raised. My mom is a fantastic mom, but she is an older generation mom. I was born much later to her in life. Yep. And 
you know, there, there are always going to be some holdovers to the, my mom is a legitimate boomer. Yeah. She was born in 46. My mom is a boomer. (laughs) Um, my mom is 75 years old and, you know, like there are different things that I would do than what she would do. And I'm not, not saying that she was a bad parent because she absolutely wasn't, but she's going on what she knew the information that was available to her at the time. Yeah. And she taught, like she raised me differently than she raised my brother because my brother is old enough to be my father. Yeah. So, well, one of my brothers, <laughs> I have three, but, um, you know, so I want to do things differently for my kids. And I hope, you know, when I, well, not when I have kids, I do have, I have a, a bonus child, But, you know, I'm hoping that my bonus child will look back and be like, okay, well, mom sort of did this and this and this. And I think I want to do this and this and this. That's right. You know what? I feel the same way about my parents. Like my stepmom and my dad were more old school conservative in some ways, but like they were doing the best they could with the information they had at the time. And I don't fault them for it at all. My mom did the best she could with a different set of information. And I respect that greatly as well. But like everyone tried their best. And it's, I think it's important to recognize that even us, even us, what if and when we have kids or with your bonus child and all that stuff, there are going to be things that they resent about us too. It's, it's just, it's the way of things. <laughs> and, you know, for me, I think, uh, Shmoo, that's what we're going to call my kid because that's what I call them. <laughs> I like uh, uh, and that actually comes from uh, a Simpsons episode. I don't know if you, if you caught the reference. No, I did. It's something that Mo has. It's a statue and it's called a shmoo. Oh. Yeah, it is like an oldie but goodie. Anyway, so I call my kid shmoo. And I think that shmoo, part of it will be, it's not that I'm an absent mom, but I am not their biological mother, nor am I their uh, primary caregiver. And you think it's going to be that they wish that you were more there? Um, I think... Yeah, that they will definitely wish that I was around more, not because their biological mother isn't absolutely fantastic. She is, and I adore her. But I think, you know, like when they think about mums, they're going to think like, oh, I wish that. So the biological mom is mummy and I'm mum. And I, I think, you know, Shmoo will look back and be like, oh, I wish mum had been around a little bit more because there was a portion of time where I did not live here and I wasn't driving. Yeah. So I didn't get to go to the things that they wanted me to go to. I didn't get to see them as much as we would have wanted, even though we got to, you know, we, we send videos back and forth on TikTok. We would chat on Facebook. We did FaceTimes. We did all of those things. But there is that kind of, oh, mom's not here to go to my baseball game or mom's not here to come to my Christmas concert. Honestly, I get that because I love my mom to death. Uh, she had her own mental health issues she had to work on, so she couldn't be a 24-7 parent to me. I respect that. I understand that. I think she, I think very highly of her. I do wish that too. So I get it. Yeah, again, it's, it's you know, I think that's natural in that case. But I think the important thing is if you've done the best you could by, can by Shmoo, Shmoo will understand. Well, yeah. And I mean, Shmoo and I have had a lot of conversations about, you know, what happens if mom has biological kids and we've had that kind of discussion where I say you know it doesn't matter if mom has biological kids that doesn't make you any less my child it does not make you not my first baby it doesn't make you anything other than a older sibling that's right it changes nothing about our relationship and they've said oh but there'll be someone else to call you mom And I was like, absolutely. But there will also be you there to teach them to call me mom. And you got the honor first. Mm -hmm. Because none of my other, I have other um, borrowed children. (laughs) That's what I call them. I borrow kids. Um, And they don't call me mom. They just call me Becca because they were much older when I got them. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm Blue-Eyes Kids Uncle Adam. And I love that. Yeah. Well, and I'm Aunt Becca and, you know, I, I, there aren't too many kids in this. I don't love any kid in this world more than them. I don't, you know, and, but it's a blessing to be such a huge part of our friends' lives that their kids, yeah, you know, see us as an aunt and an uncle and, you know, 
They I can't, teach I can't me how special that is to me, honestly. And I treasure that relationship so much. If they're listening to this, I, I, I love you guys. Yeah, we love you very much, kiddos. Yeah. But no, no. Like, yeah, all of this to say, I don't know. I think I, I love the fact that the neurodivergence, neuro, neurodiversity slash alphabet mafia slash polyam world, like this world we inhabit tends to be so very big on communication and upfront honesty. And I, I need that. I absolutely need that. And I find it very refreshing. And I, I will not date or connect with someone who does not value that because if, if you don't want something or don't like something or don't like something I did or what, what have you just tell me. Yeah. Well, I'm going to devil's advocate that in just a slight way, just because I can. Um, but I think sometimes people need a moment Yes. before they can have that communication, uh, especially someone with like uh, relationship trauma or, uh, you know, any of that where you need that moment to just try and figure out what your brain is and what you're supposed to say. Yep. That's fair. Before getting into it. But again, it's this this tightrope of how long is too long to do that? Well, because in my last relationship, I found one of the challenges I ran into was my brain was still kind of detoxing off of a previous relationship that was much worse. And there were moments where my brain had to be like, or I had to, I had to look at my brain rather and be like, okay, is this a thing we should own or is this not an us thing? You know what I mean? And there were times when like I would own things that weren't a me thing because I thought they were because it just navigating that minefield is complicated. Oh, it absolutely is. And I know that sometimes, you know, you get into this place where you're just desperately trying to survive. Yeah. And you don't want to add any more landmines to the battlefield that you're running through. So sometimes you accept the thing as yours that isn't really yours because it's just easier than not. Yeah, or you don't want to put You don't want to put your problems, your baggage on anybody else. Yes. So, and you're trying to figure it out, right? Because you're, you know, you're, you're running through, you got your head down, you're tucked in, got your helmet on, you're just running, man, you're running. And it's not that you forget that they're there, you know that they're there, but you also don't want to overload them with your own stuff where you're just trying to figure things out. But there is absolutely a line where... If you haven't communicated what's going on, if you haven't had that conversation, now you're just kind of lying to somebody. Yeah. And that's awful. Yep. Don't do it. (laughs) Zero out of 10, do not recommend. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Exactly. (laughs) Just, just no. Episode about nothing. I like this so far. This has been really good so far. I'm actually pretty impressed with us that we managed to talk for what half an hour with no game plan. You're surprised that you and I can talk each other's ear off with no game plan. Okay, no, but I am (laughs) okay. I'm surprised that we have not jumped from 47 different topics and made this podcast completely unlistenable to this point. I mean, I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably at that intersection of queer, polyam, neurodivergent, where you're used to thinking a million thoughts a, mil- a second and vocalizing them and jumping from topic to topic in conversations with all of your friends anyway. So listening to two other people do it is just validating more than anything else. I feel the same way. Like, I, I personally think that if you put a neurotypical, like, in a room and you were like, hey, listen to this podcast and you played our podcast any episode but specifically this one if you were to play it they would be like like it would be like making a mortal look upon the medusa's hair kind of well because my mom does that with us as it is like my mom loves us all she loves spending time with us but well and you saw it when you were visiting for christmas um is that you know, halfway through the conversation, mom just, just kind of like, I'm going to go do the dishes and disappeared. Yeah. And it's because she's like, I love spending time with you guys. I think you're all wonderful. You're all my children, but you guys speak a different language and, and she's not wrong. 
No. Like if you sat there and listened to us, we're talking about, you know, neurodivergency, uh, rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Um, all the, we have all these different terms and sometimes we're not even talking about this. We're either talking about LGBTQ stuff. We're talking about nerd stuff. And so you have all your, you know, your Whovian lingo, your anime lingo. Wibbly wobbly. Yeah. Yeah. You have all of these neurodivergent nerdisms that we just throw around like nothing because it's our language. Yeah. And I really sometimes do feel like we, everyone in our group speaks a different language than other people like we all speak the same language because we're used to dealing with one another yes but it's kind of like uh oh that reference really won't work on you because you're not a letter kenny fan but i'm gonna use a letter kenny reference anyway the audience will get it i'm sure i know some of them will uh not the ones that are listening from way out in wherever we have what mexico brazil now uh uk netherlands Netherlands like that's so exciting hi guys <laughs> super exciting um, tuning in yeah thank you but so with letter Kenny a lot of times you'll listen to the hockey boys talk and nobody has any idea what they're talking about it's because they're probably using like references that are so specialized to like hockey and stuff right they're using a hockey term so they'll say things like wheel snipe selly boys does that yeah. mean anything to you no, it means go fast, shoot the puck, get a goal, and celebrate. Wheel, snipe, selly, boys. I'm a um, horrible Canadian because my eye is twitching right now, and I'm like... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know I talk hockey to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, because, like, well, and the difference between you and I, right, is that I am actually a legitimate... Well, I don't know if you can call a Leafs fan a legitimate hockey fan, but I am a hockey fan. I used to be a hockey announcer. Why do you um, care for the team that always loses, though? watch your mouth <laughs> look the reason we don't win more is because i swear to god the next time the leafs win the stanley cup the entirety of toronto city will burn yeah, yeah. so you know yeah. the leafs are doing us a favor public service <laughs> they're doing us a public service <laughs> by not winning the cup that's why they choke in the playoffs um <laughs> nice well, we're Canadian. That's our obligatory hockey reference right there. For the season, Adam's like, now you never have to mention it again. It got its five minutes. We're done now. <laughs> also, just to kind of go with our, you know, Canadian theme, while I'm recording this, I am drinking an extra large double-double from Timmy's. Oh, yeah, hey, give her. But so, sorry, what I was saying before I got sidetracked by hockey is that you know, we do speak in our own language, our own vernacular. Yes. And anyone on the outside or who is neurotypical is just like, wow. Well, because like I started a part of my advocacy last couple of years has been working more with parents when it comes to autism and that kind of thing. And one of the shockers for me was like, I just kind of, I've been, I had spent so long in the neurodiversity world. I just thought everyone who was, everyone who has ever like had anyone autistic in their lives or whatever was aware of all this stuff. And then I got talking to people and things that I considered common sense, people were like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, did you, have you not read the thing and done the thing? No. Oh, okay. So, because, yeah, because it's a completely different vernacular. It's a completely different understanding. It's a completely, you know what I mean? No, it, it absolutely is. And I get that because even coming into the neurodivergent world later in life. So I went from thinking that I was just a really screwed up neurotypical to being like, oh, honey, no. <laughs> oh, and if, you, if you have to wonder if you're neurotypical, you're not neurotypical. Right. Um, but so then I'm learning all these new words and terms for things that I had always done that were just, you know, my quirks. Yep. It turns out I have no quirks and I have no personality. I am just a mix of neurodivergent symptoms and trauma responses. And that's who I am as a person. You are an adorable um, mix of neurodivergent symptoms and trauma responses. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a cute little ball of flu what the fuck. Right. But so like uh, you taught me the term echolalia. I did? That was me? Yeah, that was you. Well, you and TikTok. Uh, TikTok, oh, the clock app. Thank you for that. Oh, thank you, TikTok. Um, but so I never knew that all these vocal things that I've always done, because when you heard the term like stimming, I thought stimming was walking around flapping my hands or, 
you know, playing with my hair or wiggling my nose ring. Those are stims. It can be. It can be. But I did not know that you could also do vocal stims. And I do those all of the time. Oh, same here. So do and I. And I do, I, I have the echolalia. And if I hear, you know, something that I like, um, because I don't hear, um, I don't hear music or anything in my head. Like it is dark and quiet in here, but I will like remember lyrics or a tune. I just don't necessarily hear it inside my head. So I would, I would make that sound out loud all of the time just because it made me happy. I didn't know that that was echolalia. Well, and I also find that like, I'm not sure if you do this too, but like I have an easier time thinking and processing a thought when I'm vocalizing it. Like, yeah, yeah, that's why I talk literally. to myself so much. What? That's why I talk to myself so much. Oh, they said shh. And I'm like, what? No, why would I tell you to shush? Look, telling you to hush is what got me in trouble on Facebook. <laughs> I got a three day ban because I told you to hush and then I would beat you up. <laughs> I mean, you're the one who threatened me with violence. I, I, I don't know. Oh, I, I don't know. Girl. <laughs> I'm going to threaten you with violence. Okay, guys. <laughs> we're having too much fun do you see what happens people when we don't have notes and research this is our everyday conversation this is what we sound like when we talk on facebook messenger which is around the clock (laughs) when we the tiktoks that i send this poor man like he opened his tiktok today to like 50 tiktoks for me and then closed it and ran away like this is just who we are all of the time So in other words, uh, can I interest you in everything all of the time? A little bit of everything all of the time. I'm gonna, yeah. See, verbal stimming, echolalia. I could not get that song, Bo Burnham's uh, Welcome to the Internet song out of my head for months. Just ask this. You're welcome. I, oh my God. I, I, I came across a TikTok that had incorporated some of Bo Burnham's music into it. And I just thought it was hilarious. And it got stuck in my head. And then I Googled it and I found, found out it was a legitimate song. And I, I messaged Becca saying, did you know this is a full song? And she's like, oh, honey, you've never heard Bo Burnham's Welcome to the Internet? I'm like, no. And she's like, oh, oh, oh. Have you, wait, wait, wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back the truck up. Have you not watched that entire special? I haven't finished it yet. I'm about halfway through. Adam. I'm about halfway through. I found it, it kind of heavy at one point. It, it gets... It, it, it's it's comedy, but it's also not for the faint of heart for anyone out there. No, and I think that's one of the great things about comedy is, but yes. no, I understand how heavy that one can be. Um, but yeah, no, I loved that special. Oh God, me too. But you know the one that's been stuck in my head and I can't get it out because of the clock app. Which one? You cannot scroll three videos on TikTok without being can I, can I guess can I, can I can I guess can I take a guess before you do it? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we don't talk about brew no 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 we don't talk about brew no but <laughs> okay so yes but no that one has definitely um that one was definitely the uh the earworm for quite a while but now yes it is in canto but it is uh, surface pressure. Oh, of course it is. The, I, you know, that is a freaking icon as far as I'm concerned. Well, and see, that song has caused me so much emotional turmoil. I actually did a TikTok of it. No, no, doing no, no, the, no, babe, babe, no, 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 no. You have to do it right. That song has caused you so much emotional damage. Emotional damage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But no, because that song is very accurate to my life, (laughs) it will not go away. I hear it, well, not hear it in my head, but I think about those lyrics three times an hour, at least, and it won't go away. (laughs) And then I'll go on TikTok and I I see it every like third or fourth video to the point where I actually did a TikTok of it. (laughs) Of course you did. I did, I did. And if you guys haven't watched Encanto, Watch Encanto. It is freaking amazing. Bring a box of tissue. Oh, yeah, that too. I have watched it at least 50 times since the first time I watched it. And I cry every single time. Also, 
happens either if you are a millennial or Gen Zer who grew up in a fairly conservative, tight-knit family with high expectations of everyone involved, prepare to be triggered. And if you are a cycle breaker, if you are trying to curb the generational trauma, so much triggering. Be warned. Bring several boxes of tissues and don't say we didn't warn you. <laughs> also, alcohol or marijuana if you go that way too, because it might be necessary. <laughs> you know what song there like, hits me hard though? Hmm. Uh, Waiting for a miracle. Oh, oh right. God, that hits me hard. <laughs> um, Isabella's song, the "What else can I do?" Yeah, also hit me very hard because so I have this like mix of a lot of characters in Encanto. Me too. So a lot of the song, like definitely I felt Bruno. Oh yeah. I I felt Bruno in my soul. I felt I felt Louisa. Like yes. Because you know as much as anybody that that is like that is (laughs) who that's me. (laughs) I both felt it myself and thought of you the minute I heard that song. Yeah. But then I also felt a lot of Mirabel. Where you get that, I is the same with you. I am a burnt out, gifted child. So I get that where everybody had such high expectations for me and I did nothing <laughs> with it. And so now everyone's just like, ah, no casita for you. You didn't get a miracle. You didn't get a gift. No, go. Like, You know what, Abuela? You want to know what? There's the door. Right. Ugh. And I mean, like, I don't want to spoil anything, but like, it's, it's, a, it's a good, good movie. It's a fan if you pass. like Disney, if you like musicals, I highly recommend. <laughs> yes. See, and I I relate a lot to Mirabelle. That's my, she's my obvious one. Also Bruno and Louisa. A little bit Isabella as well, though, because I've been that person in someone else's life who people have thought my life is so perfect and what could have possibly be wrong with his life? Well, <laughs> you know. And I just think it's brilliant because it's such a great deconstruction of family trauma, expect the weight of expectations and cycle breaking. Yeah. Like it's just, it was a really, really well done. Yeah. I'm, I'm really impressed with uh, these movies and the, the guy that does it, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, is that his name? I think so. Yeah. I know that the animators had to like push Disney to allow them to make Louisa Butch and not traditionally feminine. And I'm so glad that they fought for that because it's so important for, for girls to see that. Well, I, you know what? I have to admit, it is really nice for a girl like me who's always been kind of a tomboy and, and physically strong. Like I, I am pretty strong for a girl. Um, it was nice to not just see this like, pretty soft small delicate princess because you know what not all of us are like that and yeah there's a lot of great qualities that other disney princesses have that are fantastic and i share them but i'm not small i'm short but i'm not small not small and it's it's funny because disney thought so much that like isabella would be the main seller that they are actually running out of they can't keep Louisa merch on the shelf <laughs> because all the little girls want to be big and strong. I mean, can and you I think that's so ask. cool to see. Yeah. You know, because like, I, I will admit that there isn't really fair representation for women in, in Disney movies. Like guys have more of a, like not all guys, you know, there's not always the exact prince that you want to see. And in a lot of times the princes are very like vapid. Yeah. Um, but there's just no representation for big, strong women Yeah, who are, in my opinion, absolutely amazing. I love me a big, strong woman. Well, I'm going to say, I think that's, it started to change with Frozen, if not physically, then in terms of like the structure of the story, because Anna and Elsa were each other's true love and they saved each other, which I thought was a great subversion of the whole Disney trope of true love with a Prince Charming saving you and stuff like that. So I thought that was fantastic. And then Encanto with Louisa just took it to the next level. Well, and I mean, like just to touch on Frozen, what I loved about it is that they actually kind of mocked themselves. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they're saying like, you can't marry someone that you just met after a day. I'm like, 
I, I want to pause you there and say, because Blue Eyes and I have made have joked about this. She is absolutely Anna, 110%. Because oh, I've had that. this conversation with her where I'm like, you can't fall in love with someone and date and do this after like one date. No, you can't. <laughs> like, totally oh, no, I know. I know for certain that our Blue Eyes is a romantic. I love her for it, but yeah. I love her for it. It's beautiful. Her joy is contagious, yes. but it's like blue eyes. No, baby. No, you can't. Oh, oh honey. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, mm, oh, oh, I saw that. Coming. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. I'll get the glue. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I love that they mocked that themselves in the movie. And then the Prince Charming ended up being the, the asshole villain of the movie the entire time. And that was great. Well, yeah. And like, cause I see watched a lot of Disney movies. I am absolutely a Disney kid. Oh, me too. And, and it just, it kind of warped what I thought love should be like. Because you think, oh, I'm supposed to meet this person. We're not even going to say two words to each other. We're just going to fall magically in love. And love will be enough. No other word. Love is enough. Love is not enough. Love is never enough. Love helps. But it's not enough. Like love, get, love gets you to the starting line. To get to the ending of the finish line, you need communication, commitment, hard work, all of the things. Well, exactly. You, you know, we're we're kind of spoon-fed this. And again, this goes back to my like, I'm not great with like social lies. <laughs> because you see this stuff portrayed in media. And for me, I just kind of thought that that's what it was. That that's what it's like. Why would they lie to me? Right. And it's not. And you know what? I think real life is better. I think that real love is better. Yes. No one's going to be perfect all the time. I don't wake up with perfect hair and eyeliner. Oh, God. You've, you've seen me first thing in the morning. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, right. Like if I don't take my eyeliner off and I fall asleep, I do not wake up with pristine eyeliner and lip gloss. I look like a melted raccoon. <laughs> that's trash panda to you oh right okay so i look like a melted trash panda with an afro like it's not good it's not attractive and and i you know for a long time i kind of just thought that there was something wrong that there was something bad because i didn't look that way mm -hmm. and it's cool that that we don't have to be that way and that it's becoming more and more known that, okay, this is just what it is. It's not a representation of real life. Which I'm really glad for because touching on something earlier that you said about how princes and Disney movies are like very one-dimensional and vapid and or macho men's men or or then you get like the no one's a dick like Gaston type, <laughs> type characters and stuff, you know? I don't think those are the Disney words, Adam. Yeah, well, I'm going to sub them in because I want it, okay? I want it. <laughs> My podcast. No, but I have never fit in with those guys in watching Disney movies. I've never felt an affinity for that kind of character. I like the tough, strong man's man or like, the, you know, I've always, as sad as this is in some ways, given my personality, it's always been like the comic relief, soft beta male type like characters like LeFou who were more like, oh God, that's probably who I would be in this situation. And like, it's kind of, like, I'm not going to say hurtful, but when you see yourself as the Marv and the Harry and Marv team for long enough to, to reference Home Alone, it's kind of, you start to kind of not enjoy portrayals of men in these things either, because it's just not who you are. And one of the things that's made me happy is just realizing that you can be male in many different ways. And... I love that they're starting to represent that more in media. Cause I mean, just, just look at like, I mean, Olaf, I love Olaf and not frozen <laughs> um, or look at uh, Sven and what's, what's it? Sven is the reindeer. What's, what's his friend's name? Kristoff. Kristoff. Look at Kristoff. I love Kristoff. Well, I was going to say you're a very Kristoff-esque kind of person. Yes. Because he is manly, but he's also really chill and a little awkward and very sweet yeah. and I love seeing that portrayal of men yes because we often get the 
Gaston or the, you know, Prince Eric or, you know, like those kind of princes. Um, I, I would think that one of the more relatable princess was probably like Aladdin. Oh, I love Aladdin. But yeah, I agree. Who wasn't a prince until he was. But, you know, we don't often get that. Wait, 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 wait pause you for a sec there because I have to I have to comment on that. <clears throat> Make way for Prince Ali. <laughs> Sorry, I had to continue. Continue. <laughs> um oh shoot sorry it's okay oh so we don't often get more than a one-dimensional male character yeah you know and and being being friends with predominantly men I have come to see like there are so many sides to men and I don't think that guys get enough representation in media either. Like, I just don't think that the media represents people very well. No, no, it doesn't. You know, because like, I have all different kinds of guy friends. Yeah. I have, you know, your stereotypical, like, construction worker, jock-esque that you see. I have the the softer, more sensitive guy friends. I have gentlemen that are in the middle that are friends. And it's like... You just don't get the full picture. Well, especially when society's whole shtick is that the traditional jockish construction worker dude is the way dudes are supposed to be. And all dudes should be like that. And if you're not, then you're weak and you should be, you shouldn't be showing your emotions as much and blah, 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 blah. I don't relate to any of those social expectations around being a dude. I am a dude, but I don't relate to any of them. I want to see more nuanced representation. Yeah, then you know what? I do too, for men and for women and for everyone. I want to see it for our non-binary friends. I want to see it for our transgender brothers and sisters. I want to see real nuanced depictions of people as people. Well, yes. So like, and I'm glad you said that because I have to bring it back to Star Trek. I'm sorry. There's, I have a, I have a rant. One of the criticisms that a lot of like a certain ignorant section of the fan base has been levying against new Star Trek has been, well, it's trying to be too woke and progressive because there's a, there's an openly gay uh, uh, two, two characters in a relationship and discovery and there's this and there's that and blah, blah, blah. It's like, for one, what franchise did you all think you were watching? This is the series that gave us our first interracial kiss on TV in the 60s. Like, if you didn't expect this kind of wokeness from Star Trek, what were you thinking? The soup Sue is Star Wars. I mean, yes, I love Star Wars too, but like, if you weren't expecting wokeness, why are you watching this show? But also, I don't see a problem with showing that anyway, because, I mean, you're right, it's, it's humanity. You know, if we're able to see heterosexual people having relationships on screen and do all these things left, right, and center for years, how is it not equally representative of humanity to show a gay couple or to show a non-binary character, to show all these things, especially by the 24th century, when you would hope humanity would be past some of our shit around this stuff right now? Like, Absolutely. I totally agree with you. I think, you know, being able to see pansexual people, gay people, I remember when I first got to see them on TV and I thought like, wow. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like that could be me. Yeah. And when you didn't see them as just the butt of the joke. Well, so like one of my favorite things about Star Trek Discovery when it started in 2017 was this character called Sylvia Tilly. And Tilly in the story is a cadet at the time. She's later promoted to the official ranks and that kind of thing. She's young. She's an upstart. She's very clearly neurodivergent. She's awkward. She's excitable. She's all these things, but she's brilliant and valued as one of the crew and no one bats an eye at her weirdness. They all accept her for who she is and that kind of thing. And that felt like one of the best representations of neurodiversity on TV that I've seen in a long time. And I, immediately I was like, yeah, that's me. That's who I would be in this show. She didn't, the actress didn't, like, didn't intend to play her neurodivergently, but she ended up doing so anyway, and has just kind of embraced being a bit of representation like that. I, we should have a, actually neurodivergent people representing us on TV, and I agree with that, but that's a whole other rant. But it was, suffice to say, it was nice to see a character more faithfully written in this way. I just feel like that when Hollywood tries to write neurodiversity, they fail because in the same way that I fail 
in flirting when I'm trying to flirt because I'm overthinking it, Hollywood also overthinks writing neurodiversity when they're trying to, because they feel like they have to go off this check, this checklist textbook thing when they should just write people. Well, that's exactly it. Like I, I find a lot of shows if they want to write in like a character, like an autistic character or everything, we're always savants. Yeah, I know. We're always, you know, Sheldon Cooper's or, Oh, I have a whole uh, rant about Sheldon Cooper and why I hate him as autistic representation, but I'm going to leave that for another podcast. But, you know, like, they're always Sheldon Cooper's or um, Bones from Bones or, you know, that kind of, they, they, they shoehorn us into this very specific, like, oh, we're all a little rude and standoffish and it's because we're so smart and we're so focused on this and that. And yeah, like we are focused and we do tend to have, you know, our hyperfixations, absolutely. But we're still people. We're not caricatures of our neurodivergencies. We're still people. Yes, exactly. And I get tired of seeing the kind of juxtaposition of like the Big Bang Theory. And don't get me wrong, I loved the Big Bang Theory. I, yes. I, I really do. I'm sure people will at me for that, but I, I enjoyed the show. But it was that, you know, you have all these nerdy guys. And even if you're not trying to, code them as neurodivergent you made them super duper nerdy and you had this juxtaposition of these like weird guys who are super nerdy and put them next to this worldly girl but also coded her in this slutty way like you couldn't just show all of us like show them as real people you show them as caricature of people well, yeah, and going off of that, I think what irritates me about the Big Bang Theory is that the assumption isn't that Penny should learn more about being nerdy like they are. The assumption is that they need to change to fit in with normality. Yeah, and I did like that in some later episodes, they did things like make her fall in love with an MMO and be really, really good at it. I was so proud when she used a reference to talking about she- uh, Romulan disruptors and shields in that one time when she was talking to Sheldon in the, in the laundry room or something. I was so proud of that. Yeah. Like, I loved that they did start to get a little bit better about that. Like, I think they listened to a lot of backlash from the community. Yeah. But it shouldn't have really had to be backlash. You're trying to tell me that nobody in that writer's room is nerdy? Oh, yeah. Right? Like, nobody in that writer's room went like, hey, guys, this is a little offensive to people who are nerdy. Right? You know? And you could tell that they were supposed to be caricature. I'm really struggling with that word. Caricatures? Thank you. That one of people, you know, because they had like Sheldon. Yeah. They had Leonard, who was supposed to be a little bit more worldly, but still nerdy. They had uh, Wolowitz, who I loved, but who was supposed to be that like, I think that I'm really worldly and I'm really sexual and this and that. But I've everybody known, just kind of looked at him like a creeper. I've known nerds like Wolowitz. I really have. Oh, oh Yeah. I know several, but you know what I'm saying is that I I like that they did get better, but it did really start out as that very shoehorned sort of look at these people. Yeah. Well, and I feel like Sheldon got latched onto as a representative of autism on screen, but I find he's actually not very good at that. He's an outright asshole. He's written very, not one dimensionally, but like very stereotypically and he kind of gives us a bad name. Yeah, he really does. Like, I love Sheldon as a character, but I refuse to accept him as a representation of my community because hell no. Right, like, if any of them were going to be a representation of our community, I think I would have chosen, like, Amy Farrah Fowler. Oh, I love Amy Farrah Fowler. (laughs) I love her so much. Because I found that, like, she grew a lot during the series, and and she was always trying more and more to live in kind of both worlds. Like, she didn't want to be neurotypical. She wanted to be exactly who she was, but she also wanted to be with her friends who were maybe a little bit more neurotypical, but with them just accepting her. And that representation I loved was the relationship between, you know, Bernadette, Amy Farrah Fowler, and Penny. Yes, I will agree with you on that. I actually love their relate the three of them, their relationship. Because of the three, Penny is still by and inf- by and large the non-nerdy one. Because even Bernadette, yeah. oh my god, Bernadette's still super nerdy in her own way. Yeah. You know? 
but I like how they all kind of appreciate each other. Anyway, yeah, we're like, off, so go on. Were you they were getting off topic? Yeah, a little bit. In an episode about nothing? Good point. Okay. I'll allow it. Continue. <laughs> no, now I want to change the topic. Oh, ouch. But I don't know for what. Well, I was going to say, we are getting up there in time, so I'm thinking to say we probably should call it sooner than later. But I'm having so much fun. Also, my, this was, this was a great idea. We should ask our listeners. Yeah. Oh, before we leave. Okay. Listeners, we are trying to think of a name for you that isn't listeners. <laughs> because yeah. it just so impersonal and we want you're our friends but we want kind of like a fun name for you so so like so there's a star trek podcast i follow called the greatest generation which calls their fans friends of DeSoto, and it's a reference to an obscure episode of the next generation where there was a captain DeSoto in it i think but anyway it stuck for them and they thought it was hilarious so they went with it and likewise other podcasts we follow call their listeners different things. So we kind of want to do stuff like that too. Yeah. So we want to know if you can post on our Facebook. We might actually put like a poll up on our Facebook. Do you we think? should do that. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Um, because we've gone over a couple of different ones. But we want to make sure that we're using something that you guys like. And we'd also like some of your suggestions. So if you come onto the poll and you see things that you don't see anything that really speaks to you, put your own spin in there and let us know what you think absolutely because you know consent and communication are sexy and we want to be respecting those things with regards to our listeners too so tell us what you want to be called and with that i guess we should say goodbye until next week absolutely well i mean this was an awesome podcast about nothing and i have had a lot of fun tonight so we should absolutely do this again um we and we definitely will for the episode where Adam gets baked and Becca asks Adam questions because that's going to be a whole funny thing on its own. Yes, so that's going to be um, thanks to a suggestion by one of our wonderful listeners because we don't have another term for them that we love so much. Thank you, Midnight. We will definitely be doing that on 420. Oh, absolutely, we will. Um, but with that, I bid you all adieu. We love you so much. Have a good day, guys. Bye. Special thanks goes to Paul Unger, who helped design the rainbow infinity symbol with the two brains component of our logo, which we love very much. Thanks, Paul. The Neurodivergent Polyamorist was produced by Rebecca Kelterborn and Adam Mardero. Copyright 2022.